1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Judges.
0: Real love is
2: calling, Listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is for you with every sunrise. God doesn't always give us what we want. No parent does. If you just give your kid whatever they want, they'd wake up and have Pop-Tarts every single day. So there are days you're going to be like, no more Pop-Tarts. You've had enough Pop-Tarts. Save them for Dad. You know, and, uh, but like, no loving parent gives their kids everything they ever want. So there are times that for our good, God says no. It's hard. But sometimes when God says no or God says not now, that's for your best. And we can't see it at the time any more than our kids can see it when they're crying for Pop-Tarts.
1: Even imperfect human parents know that giving a kid whatever they want whenever they want it is not loving parenting. Our society has tried to challenge this, literally telling us that we could be whatever we want to be and do whatever we want if we just believe. In practice, it doesn't work that way. And society is headed to a big mess because of this reasoning. As Pastor Gary will explain in today's message, God is a perfect father. And as His children, He does what's best for us, even when we don't like it. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Judges chapter 11 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: There are some ways that we can say things without committing us because there are some situations that are out of our control and we can't always do what we commit that we're going to do. So learn to be a little vague because at least at least, you're not going to be made out to be a liar if you can't fulfill your promises. You know, the phrases when your kids ask you, can we, can we, can we? We'll see. <laughs> we'll see about that. Learn to be the doctor of, we'll see. We'll see. Just no commitment right now, we'll see. Or, how about this? Maybe later. Maybe later. Let me think about that. Let me pray about that. I mean, you know, there's a multitude of ways that we can say things without committing. That's what gets us into trouble. Mean what you say and say what you mean. Number two, don't make conditional deals with God. Okay? Don't make conditional deals with God. If you look at verse 30 again, there in chapter 11, notice, he says to God, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, then I will offer a sacrifice to you. If you, God, then I. People make these kind of negotiations with God all the time. And let me just say to you, rarely do they work. Rarely do they work. Oh, Lord. Lord, if you, just, if you just get me this job, if you, if you just get me this job, then I promise I'll stop drinking. You know, people make those kind of things. Then you get the job, and then you meet your friends at Spanky's to celebrate. You know what I'm saying to you? It's like, like wait, five minutes ago, you just made that deal with God. Yeah, I know, but now here's to you, God. Yeah, I, 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 like, what just happened there? If you God get me out of this mess, ever prayed one of those? Like you're in a jam, you're in a mess. There's a big problem. You're like, if Lord, if you get me out of this mess, then I, then I'll I'll be a missionary. I'll I'll be a missionary to Mexico. That's you you know, and then God gets you out of the the mess, and you're like, muchas gracias, hermano, muchas gracias, Jesus, oh Jesus, muchas gracias. And then that's the last Spanish you ever speak again in your life. (laughs) It's like, what are we doing? Why do we do this kind of thing? If you, then I. How about instead of if you, then I, how about because you are, then I will. Because you are my Lord, because you are worthy of my praise, because you are worthy of a life well lived, because you are my Savior, because you are Jesus and Lord, I will live my life to glorify you and please you. Not any of this if you will do this, because here's the deal. It is no deal for God. Like, he doesn't get anything out of that, right? It's like, if you, then I, as if God's up there going, well, I I can't wait because I've been really needing your help. You know, i like, well, that's when, because if you, then you will, great, you know, because I don't know who I was going to send to Mexico if you hadn't made that promise to me. It's like, no, God kind of doesn't need our help for anything. So there's nothing for him in that deal. If we're like, if you, God, then I will. There's zero for him in that deal. He's already self-sufficient and complete in himself. He's perfect in all his ways. So he needs nothing from us. Let me tell you why he may give you that job that you try to negotiate. It's based on his love for you. It's not based on what you can do for him. If he does this, then you will. He is motivated by his love for you. Not because you make a deal with him and you negotiate something with him. He gets nothing out of it. He's motivated by his love for you. Again, we need to always balance it, you know, properly theologically. God doesn't always give us what we want. No parent does. If you just give your kid whatever they want, they'd wake up and have pop tarts every single day. So there are days you're going to be like, "No more pop tarts. You've had enough pop tarts. Save them for dad." You know, and uh, <laughs> but like no loving parent gives their kids everything they ever want. So there are times that, for our good, God says no. It's hard. But sometimes when God says no or God says not now, that's for your best. And we can't see it at the time any more than our kids can see it when they're crying for Pop-Tarts. But nevertheless, that still is God's best for us. And we need to always defer to Him, Lord. And it's okay to say, Lord, this is what I would like. These are, you know, present our needs before the Lord with prayer and supplication. It's okay to say, Lord, this is what I'd like. This is what I would want. This is what I would need. But then at the end of the day, it's like, but Lord, whatever is your best for me, and I will accept whatever is your best for me, even if it's not what I've asked, because he's God, and he's worthy of our praise, and he's worthy of our obedience if he, doesn't, if he doesn't do another thing for us. So none of this negotiation, like if that's in your prayer life, get rid of that. Like, like just stop, stop trying to make deals with God. If you, God, then I will. No, because he is. Now I will live my life as obediently as I can to glorify Him. So, no negotiations. This is what, this is what Japheth did here. It's just like, you know, if you will, then, then I will. Unless you promise something unbiblical, illegal, or unethical, do what you say. Let me tell you, there actually was a way out for Japheth. Um, if, in fact, he ended up sacrificing his daughter, there's actually provision in the Levitical law for him to redeem a rash vow by paying the priest 10 shekels. So it's clear in the Bible, in Deuteronomy 12, 31, that human sacrifice was a pagan practice and completely unacceptable to God. So so let's just go for a moment and think that he possibly sacrificed her just, just for the moment for the purpose of like working out an understanding of what trouble he got himself into. Even if that is what he ended up doing, which is the most horrific, obviously of the two choices. Do I dedicate her to the tabernacle or do I sacrifice her? One thing we have to be aware of is if you ever say something that is contrary to scripture, you're not bound by that. Now you might've made a promise that was rash but if Japheth says here to God, literally, whatever walks through the, you know out of the door of my house when I get home, I'll sacrifice. Oh, it's my daughter. Okay, I'm going to sacrifice her. Well, human sacrifice is abomination to God. It's detestable to him. The scriptures say that in Deuteronomy twelve thirty one. So, So God was not obligating him to carry out something that was against his own law. That's number one. Number two, it says in Leviticus 27, the first five verses, that if you make a vow concerning another person, you can redeem the vow by offering, and I won't take you to read it, but it's in Leviticus 27, first like seven or eight verses. But in the first five verses, it speaks about a young man of a certain age, a young woman at a certain age, and there was a, it was a variable price depending on their age. So let's say this this young lady was maritable age, and she's somewhere between 10 and 20, it would have cost him 10 shekels. The Levitical law would have cost him 10 shekels. And he did have the Levitical law, because Moses preceded the rule of the judges here. And the Levitical law said that he could have redeemed his vow concerning his daughter if he had paid the priest 10 shekels, and then into the house of the Lord as an offering to the Lord, and then he could have had his daughter back. So God does not hold us to unbiblical, unethical, illegal things. Other than that, you should do what you say. Are we obligated to do those things that are unbiblical, illegal, or unethical? No. And you don't, you don't want to do double damage to add to the vow that you said that was unbiblical, unethical, or illegal, adding to that your actions. So that's doing double damage, so in those cases, what, what are we to do? So let's say you do say something. Like, you know, you commit to somebody like, yeah, okay. I mean, I'm just using a really hypothetical, you know. Okay, I'll go help you rob that bank. You know, okay, right. I hope you never say that kind of thing. But I'm just saying, okay, I'll go help you rob your bank. And then your conscience gets the better of you, which it should. And, well, you can't be like, well, you know, I said it. So now I'm bound by my vow. I got to go ahead and rob the bank. No, you don't. No, you don't. So what do we do in these cases where we say things that we realize should not have said because it's unethical, unbiblical, or illegal? Number one, you ask God for forgiveness. We're under grace now. There is such a thing as grace now. We are under grace. We ask God for forgiveness for saying something in haste that we cannot with a clear conscience fulfill. And then number two... If it involves another individual, you have to ask the other person for forgiveness for saying something that you cannot follow through with because it was an unbiblical, illegal, or unethical promise. Other than that, listen to me on this, just because something you say might be inconvenient, it might be costly, time-consuming, or you should have known better but you didn't investigate properly does not relieve you of the responsibility to fulfill that. So I don't want anybody to use a cop-out because you heard this Bible study, you go, well, I should never have made that, the vow to the knucklehead I'm married to because, you know, I, that was a rash decision. Well, guess what? <laughs> knucklehead is your permanent spouse. Like, you can't, just because you're like, well, I didn't know he was a knucklehead, now I know better, you know? It's like, we're all knuckleheads. What are you talking about you didn't know? You know, uh, uh, when people file divorces, like irreconcilable differences, that's called marriage. What are you talking about? (laughs) Couples have irreconcilable differences all the time. Like, so don't, don't use anything like this topic as a wiggle room to like, well, I should never have said that before God. Uh, listen, unless it's illegal, unless it's unethical, unless it's unbiblical, we are bound by it. And sometimes it's inconvenient, and sometimes we, we don't necessarily like that we, you know, made this This legal, say, we enter into some legal arrangement, it's not illegal, and we, and we decide we're gonna purchase some property or whatever, and well, I've changed my mind. No, you've signed a contract. I mean, like, you have to be a person of your word. So this is binding. God cares about what we say. We have to be people of our word. Because that's important to God. So there's, there's no, you know, wiggle room here. It's, it's only in the case where it's a clear violation of the Bible or something unethical or illegal. And then God doesn't expect you to have to carry that thing out and then do, do, make two wrongs. You know, two wrongs don't make a right. We know this. Our moms taught us this. But listen to what Psalm 15 verse 4 said. God honors the one who keeps his oath even when it hurts. That's Proverbs 15, verse 4. God honors the one who keeps his oath even when it hurts. Sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes you say something, you make a promise, and you're like, oops, not sure I should have said that. Too bad. Like, your word needs to mean something. That's why it's important on the front end, don't go saying things until you're absolutely sure. Pray through some things before you commit. Deuteronomy 23:23 23, 23 says, "Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth." And here's good advice from Jesus in Matthew 5:37, simply let your yes be yes and your no no. And then he adds, "Anything more than this is from the evil one." Anything more than this is actually inspired by Satan. So being people of our word is actually modeling the character of God. How is that? Because in Psalm 145, 13, the Bible says, The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. Everybody get this? This is important stuff. Let's go to chapter 12 now. It's only uh, 15 verses, and the last half of it is just a mention, a kind of an honorable mention about uh, three of the other judges on our list. But chapter 12 continues the uh, kind of the epilogue on uh, Jephthah. And so chapter 12, verse 1 says, Then the men of Ephraim gathered together, crossed over toward Zaphon, and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon, and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house down on you with fire. Now this is interesting. This is one of the tribes of Israel, the tribe of Ephraim. They're like, Why did, now, that, now that he's had the victory, J- Japheth has had the victory over the Ammonites, and the tribe of Ephraim is coming to him saying, Why didn't you ask us to fight with you? Now, look, you're going to find here in a moment that Japheth actually did ask them. They're the largest tribe among the tribes of Israel, and they decided not to join him. So, so then, what's their deal? They're coming to Japheth after the fact. Why didn't you ask us to fight? And he's going to say in a moment, no, I did ask you to fight. So, so their big beef is, check this out. You won, and we didn't get in on the victory, you know? And so, what is showing here is their pride. Keep reading with me. Verse 2, and Japheth uh, Jephthah uh, said to them, My people and I were, were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon, and when I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands. So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Jephthah's like, I did ask you. You guys said no, and now you're just belly aching because we've had a victory and you didn't get a medal. This is this is before the day when everybody got, got a medal, whether you won or not. Yeah. And so, verse four. Now, now Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead. Those are his own people. Those are his homeboys from Gilead, and fought against Ephraim. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim because they said, You Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. Now, they're not fugitives. What they're referring to is... God had already uh, allowed and gave Moses to give permission to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh that they could live on the eastern side of the Jordan River. All the other tribes lived on the western side of the Jordan River. So on a map today, those two and a half tribes, Gad, Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh would, would be living in Jordan. And the Ephraimites who are living in what is today Israel are saying, you guys are fugitive. You know, you're, you're not part of us because you live on the other side of the Jordan River. That's not true. They were a part of them. God had given them permission to live on that side of the Jordan River, but they're treating them like the enemy and they're just mad. The Ephraimites are bent out of shape because we didn't get, you know, you, you didn't invite us to the dance. Yes, we did. You didn't want to dance with us. Yeah, so, so now you're just complaining that you, you aren't a part of the victory. So there's, there's this battle now. There's this internal conflict the Gileadites fight against them defeat the Ephraimites not all of them but you know there's some victory and then verse 5 says the Gileadites seized the fords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived So the Gileadites are going back onto the other side of the the Jordan River and the Ephraimites are pursuing them. And when any Ephraimite who escaped said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, are you an Ephraimite? And if he said no, then they would say to him, then say Shibboleth. And he would say Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. And then they would make him... Uh, take him and kill him at the fords of the Jordan. And there fell at that time 42,000 Ephraimites. That's a lot of, that's a lot of questioning. You know, 42,000 people say Shibboleth, Sibboleth, you're dead. And, uh, <laughs> and so uh, Jephthah judged Israel six years and then uh, Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried among the cities of Gilead. So what, what's happening here? Okay, here's what's happening. Even among the Jewish people in those days, there were different dialects. The Ephraimites had a problem pronouncing S-H. Sh. So this was a test. The Gileadites, in order to figure out whether the Ephraimites were coming to attack them, would interrogate them at the Jordan River. Are you an Ephraimite? No, 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 I'm not an Ephraimite. Well, then say Shibboleth. (laughs) The Ephraimites couldn't say that, so they'd be like Shibboleth. So they couldn't say the S-H, which made me wonder, I was, you know, as I was studying this, I'm like, if, if anybody acted up, they could never go, shh, <laughs> what, s- s- what was that sounding like? Anyway, I digress. It does remind me, however, that, uh, and there's a few Arabic-speaking people in our congregation, Arabic, uh, the Arabic language, this is just an example of a similar um, uh, challenge pronouncing things. The Arabic language does not have a hard P, P, P in the Arabic language. So when we go up to Caesarea Philippi in northern Israel as part of our tour of Israel, it is it is named today by the Greek name of the city, which is Panias, after the Greek god Pan. But the the Arabs can't, in Arabic language, they cannot pronounce they can't say the letter P, so it is called Banyas with a B. Even today, Palestinians, because they can't say the P letter, typically in the Arabic language, it's a soft F when they say Palestine. They don't say Palestine, they say Palestine with a soft F. So on one of my tours in Israel... My good friend, who's been my, one of my tour bus drivers for the last twenty plus years, and Manir is Arabic. He was born and raised and lives in Nazareth, and he became a Christian just about five six years ago as a result of the tours that he was exposed to the gospel. And so Manir just loved this man. He's got a great sense of humor. He's always my first choice for a bus driver, and but Manir because he speaks Arabic primarily, he also speaks English and he speaks uh, Hebrew, but he cannot pronounce the letter P. So but one time, uh, another tour guide that has helped me at different times, Tisha Michelle, Tisha said, go up to Maneer and ask him to recite Peter Piper Pick of Pickled Peppers. <laughs> so I did. So i like, Maneer, yes, Gary. Gotcha. I said... Why don't you say to me, you know that old rhyme in, in America, it's Peter Piper Pick the Peck of Pickled Peppers. He goes, Peter Piper Pick the Peck of Pickled Peppers. When he offered me a Pepsi one time, he's like, you want a Pepsi? I mean, it is just funny to hear, but it's just, uh, it's, it's, you know, a challenge in that particular language. That's what's happening here. The Ephraimites cannot pronounce S-H when they just say Sibboleth. It reveals that they're an Ephraimite and they are killed. As a result, after Jephthah, he only reigned six years, only, only ruled for six years, judged, I should say. And uh, then in verse eight, it says, after him, Isban of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons and he gave away 30 daughters in marriage and brought in 30 daughters from elsewhere for his sons. He judged Israel seven years and then Ibzon died and was buried at Bethlehem. And by the way, that's, that, that language sounds like when it says he brought in daughters elsewhere, it was typical, not a good thing, but it was typical for leaders to make alliances with other nations by marrying off and, you know, negotiating. Well, if you give me peace, I'll give you my daughter and this kind of a thing. And so that sounds like what he was doing. Um, maybe that's why he doesn't really get much, um, recorded here. Verse 11, after him, Elon, the Zebulonite, judged Israel. He judged Israel 10 years, and Elon, the Zebulonite, died and was buried at Ajalon in the country of Zebulun. And then after him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirithonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 young donkeys. Those are Ford F-150s, you know, today. is what it would be. And he judged Israel eight years, and then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirithonite died and was buried in Pirithon in the land of Ephraim in the mountains of the Amalekites. So we know nothing about those guys. They, they each, interestingly, they get very little mention, but they each served longer than Jephthah did, and yet they don't have anything particularly said about them. Enough, jump in you find
1: the your Run towards your new life. Thank you for joining us today here on Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of Judges. It's a great reminder to the kid inside us, to the human flesh that is bent to fulfill its own desires. Whatever we do, someone always sees it. Nothing goes unnoticed, especially those things we wished had been overlooked. Isn't that the role of a parent, though, to discipline the behavior of sin? Jesus is the same way with the Israelite nation and us. He doesn't allow sin to go without consequence. But He's also lovingly fair and desires each one of us to return to Him. Maybe you felt like that kid who's gotten off track with God. We can't be perfect, but we can pray that we'll have the strength to do what's right and follow in God's footsteps. Are you struggling with that? Would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry located in Leesburg, Virginia, committed to sharing the love of Christ with you through sound biblical teachings that meet you where you're at. To find out more about us, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. That website again is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for listening to this edition of Cornerstone Connection.